I'm Liam Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello everyone and welcome to the Motivated Classroom Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Guramila Mahagav. I am absolutely delighted, excited and quite nervous to have Dr. Richard M. Ryan here with me today. Now, you will have heard me talk on many occasions on this podcast about self-determination theory, autonomy, competence and relatedness. And I'm just absolutely delighted to be joined by one of the co-founders of self-determination theory. Now, before we speak to Richard, I, of course, need to start with my little bit of Irish, as we do for every single episode. So today, our word is going to be kriachnia. Now, kriachnia in Irish means the end or finish or at the end and we say Toshe Kriakniha means it's done, it's finished. So that is our Irish word for today. Now Richard I'm going to try and introduce you which is always really difficult for me but it's probably going to be more difficult today because you have achieved so much but I'm going to give it a shot. So Richard M. Ryan is a professor at the Institute for Positive Psychology and Education at the Australian Catholic University, North Sydney, and Professor Emeritus at the University of Rochester. He's a clinical psychologist and he's the co-developer of self-determination theory. Now, as all of you will know who listen to this podcast, that is an internationally recognised leading theory of human motivation, of which I centred my PhD studies, my thesis studies all around self-determination theory, intrinsic motivation and language learning. Now, Richard frequently lectures on the factors that promote motivation and healthy psychological and behavioural functioning in areas such as organisations, education, health, sport, exercise, video games, lots of different areas. Now, Richard is among the most cited researchers in psychology and social sciences today, and he's the author of over 450 papers and books in the areas of human motivation and well-being, including his best-selling book Self-Determination Theory, Basic Psychological Needs and Motivation, Development and Wellness from 2017 with Edward Desi. Now, I had a quick look before I started as well on ResearchGate. Richard has uh, 1.2 million reads and 250,000 citations, which he's even looking a bit shocked at to see. So that's absolutely incredible. Now, of course, reflective of uh, Richard's influence internationally and across disciplines, he's been recognised as one of the most eminent psychologists of the modern era and listed among the top 20 most influential industrial organisational psychologist. So, you know, I could go on and talk for another 15 or 20 minutes about all the things you've done, but really, I am so pleased to have you here. So thank you so much for joining me. Now, without further ado, I'm going to go straight into our first question, which I've asked lots of people to talk to me about and what things do they think I should ask you, because it is a little bit like talking to my bookshelf right now. So I'm trying to trying to make sure I get my questions right. So first of all, I'd love to know, why do you think the world of education has been a little bit slow to embrace self-determination theory and the basic psychological needs? I remember reading that in your conclusion of the 2020 update paper that you wrote. And I remember reading that and going, yeah, that's so true. There's still so many educational institutions that don't embrace it fully. Why do you think that is? Why are we so far away from this motivated classroom in many of our school contexts? Well, you know, I think in, in general, we sometimes have the wrong goals as, uh, as educators. We're thinking about achievement and we're thinking about learning outcomes and we're so focused on those things, we forget that those outcomes require a flourishing learner right in the middle of it, somebody who's actively engaged in what's going on. And I, th- you know, I think to the degree that we orient our policies and our practices toward outcomes rather than toward the right process for learners, uh, we go awry. And, uh, and so I think one of the things that self-determination theory tries to do is to point us back to what is the most important things we can be doing in education. And that has to do with bringing out the motivation from within and the excitement and the engagement of learners. And then we'll get those 
learning outcomes that we uh, so fetishize and aspire to. But I, th I, th I think that focus has really led to some policies that end up backfiring and producing the not best classroom practice. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Do you think it has something to do with this over emphasis on numbers and grades and, you know, in university league tables, which we have a big problem with in the UK. Do you think that's got something to do with it? I don't think it has just something to do with it. I think it's really the worm at the core right. uh, of a lot of our issues, which is that, uh, you know, again, learners come in all sizes and qualities and different starting points. And rather than thinking about how we can take each one of those people and help them uh, become the best they can be in whatever. We're, we're focused on these very narrow uh, areas of achievement and really it's more of a selection process than thinking about education. I, we confuse evaluation all the time with education and we have it too intermixed. You know, education should be the inspiration of learning, yeah. but instead we've just overloaded it with test after test after test after test. And then, you know, the messages that come from that test, which is you're, you're okay as a learner, you're not okay as a learner, and it's demoralizing and discouraging to teachers and students alike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you know, that basic psychological need of competence, of course, is is so influenced by those numbers and we're going to destroy people's competence as long as we keep putting numbers on their heads. That's one of the, the big things I often talk to the listeners about is if you can take away one of the tests, if your department or your school will let you do that, then please do that. We, we don't have to test our students as much as we do. And then I suppose leading on from that, Richard, I'd love to know what do you think as teachers we need to change then? And I'm, I suppose I'm talking about things that are within our locus of control, you know, within our classroom? Is there particular practices or things we do that would need to go so that we can improve motivation even further? What do you think about that? Well, we began with kind of a global question about where are policies going wrong? But, you know, I think the role of every classroom teacher uh, from elementary school all the way up through higher education is to create the best atmosphere you can within your classroom, within what's in your sphere of control. I sometimes use the metaphor of it's raining out there. It's your job to hold an umbrella up over you and your students and create the climate in that classroom that's conducive to learning. Oh, I love that. So when I think about that, it's about focus on what you can do within the classroom to really create a nurturing and need supportive environment. And on that need supportive environment, I know that as teachers, one of the things that I think comes more naturally to us is relatedness. I think we, we go into teaching with a sense of care. We try and make our students feel a sense of belonging. But what I found talking with colleagues in my own practice and my own experience is the autonomy is so important, but it's often the one that we don't really focus on. We kind of think if I just talk to them about how important erosion is or how important this scientific formula is, they're going to get it. I don't know. Do you have any ideas how teachers can kind of bring more autonomy into the classroom or anything we could do to do that? Or or maybe I'm wrong. Is it as important as I think autonomy? I think it's hugely important. I think uh, all the evidence from self-determination theory shows that it's one of the critical factors in classroom teaching. And there are, I'm going to say, dozens of ways to bring more autonomy into your classroom. But I'm going to start with one that's just really basic. The minute I see students balking or not engaging what's going on, it's time to inquire what that's about. Mm. Find out from their perspective, what is the obstacle? What is the thing that's in the way? Is it a lack of interest in this lesson? Is it a lack of 
ability to do the challenges that I'm setting before the students? Or is it something else that's going on that's occupying their attention that we should clear out of the way first? It's, it's always about starting with the student's frame of reference and trying to build from there. And that gives both a sense of responsiveness and autonomy because you're empowering that person to have a voice and to make an input into the classroom. Yeah, that's a really nice idea. And what about that idea then around autonomy and choice? Because I think in my experience, quite a few teachers confuse the fact of if I give choice, then I've given autonomy. Is, is that enough or do we need to go deeper than that? The reason that choice has been associated with autonomy is oftentimes if we have a choice over alternatives, we're choosing one that has the best fit for us or works the best for us so that we can more fully engage. And so that's why in the past, choices have been associated with greater autonomy because people tend to pick something that's optimal for them. But a lot of times people have then reinterpreted that by let's give some trivial choices that have nothing to do with what's fitting or yeah. what you're interested in or what you're doing. Um, you can choose either the black or the red pen to yeah. do this <laughs> assignment that you don't want to do. Well, that's not a choice that's going to enhance autonomy because it's not related to the issue of the will and the volition of the person you're trying to motivate. So choices have to be meaningful and they have to relate to something that's going to help you uh, find a pathway that's more conducive for you. Ah. And that's why we offer choices. That's really fascinating, actually. Just that really simple analogy of the blue and red pen has really crystallized it and how, yeah, the, the choice really needs to be about their own ownership of the learning or taking their own pathway or some of their own creativity. That's, that's a really nice analogy. And then I'd like to come to another question here about self-determination theory. And I suppose one of the criticisms that's been leveled at me with this podcast is that I talk too much about self-determination theory and that I should bring in other motivational frameworks works and theories and, and I shouldn't just talk so much about self-determination theory now. Liam, do not listen to the critics. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I think is for me, when I did my doctorate, I read around lots of other motivational frameworks. But for me, when I looked at self-determination theory, one, it was very understandable to me. And two, it felt like it encompassed a lot of the other motivational frameworks. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. If if people do come to us who are researchers or teachers and we're talking about self-determination theory and they say, oh, it's oversimplified or you need to expand more and look at other frameworks, what's your response to that? I certainly think people should look at multiple frameworks on in any area where they're studying. So, I, you know, I, that's true. Self-determination theory is a really broad theory and it's meant to be a broad theory. It's meant to be a framework under which we can study all aspects of human motivation and wellness. And so it's not surprising that it has contact with many other theories. And I guess I'm biased. I do happen to think it's a pretty comprehensive theory and it well incorporates some other theories. So for instance, you know, people uh, are oriented toward uh, social cognition and self-efficacy theory. And our ideas about uh, perceived competence, I think are quite fitting with those things. People use techniques like motivational interviewing. Well, SDT has an explanation for why motivational interviewing works, why, why it's effective, as well as its own additional techniques for how you can elicit that uh, ownership and that internal frame of reference from other people. So, um, you know, I do think it's a general theory. I think it connects with almost all issues in the areas of, uh, of wellness and, and motivation. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, have it be the only exclusive thing that somebody reads or focuses on. Yeah. There's a lot of really good things out there. Okay, that's really great. From that perspective, to do with self-determination theory and this idea that it's cross-cultural and that we see it in humans all across the world, could you expand a little bit on that for us? Because that, again, is something that often when I talk about it, people say, well, okay, 
that's well and good, lots of autonomy in your classroom, but that just doesn't apply in my context. You know, what, what would you say to those critics? Well, first of all, I'd say there is no context in which autonomy doesn't apply. That is our universal claim, and it's also, I think, what the evidence shows. Um, but I think when people make that statement, they're usually confusing autonomy with other closely related concepts. So, for instance, the idea of independence. Uh, there are big cultural differences around independence and interdependence and people's willingness to rely on others and people's sense of duty to others. Those things vary quite a bit. But I think those are separate issues from the issue of autonomy, which is in every culture, people want to feel like what they're doing, they're doing willingly. And they don't want to feel like uh, what they're doing is imposed on them. They want to live in accord with their values. Those values differ cross-culturally, but people's wanting to be behind and endorsing the things that they are enacting that that's universal yeah and i think that's that's so important you've touched on some of those topics to do with autonomy about ownership and self-direction and feeling like you have not just some choice but much more of it is that creativity aspect that ownership and as you said it's, it's personally valuable to you i think those are sometimes aspects that get a little bit forgotten by teachers so it's, it's really nice to hear you talk about that now this podcast the motivated classroom is listened mainly by people who are language teachers around the world now i know that you are not a language teacher. I know that's not your area of expertise. But, you know, in many senses, when I talk about language teaching, people often say to me, oh, I was terrible at French. I was I'm terrible at Spanish. I tried English. I couldn't do it. And, and people come back with this thing. For me, a lot of that has come from the way it was taught in a very traditional way. So we have a textbook. We go through chapter by chapter. We have a long list of vocabulary. We do the tenses all in order, present tense, then past, then future. So it's very, you know, not pressurized, but there's a real set way of doing it. What advice would you have to the language teachers listening to this now to try and make our classes more motivating or to have a more motivated classroom? The situation you bring up where there's kind of a standard set of practices that have been in place for a long time and they keep being repeated uh, is not just in language classrooms. We see this across all of education. And one of the things we see is that a lot of the practices that we've engaged in aren't really evidence-based. They haven't really shown that they're particularly effective. And I'm just gonna give the example of ongoing quizzes. We're gonna quiz people every week to make sure that they're learning. And here we're confusing two things. We're confu we think that's a motivating thing because they'll be motivated to do this quiz, but it's actually a demotivating thing because it's actually ongoingly giving a lot of negative feedback to a lot of students. But why do we do that? Because we've always done it. And I think it's, I think SDT says, let's open this area of inquiry up. It's not that I have all the answers here, but what we should be doing is looking at each of our techniques and seeing, does it promote autonomy? Does it promote feelings of competence? Those are our targets. And if it's not doing that, then let's find some new techniques. So I think what SDT does is it supplies the criteria, the mediator that produces the outcomes we want. So we have to aim our techniques in the classroom and our styles of communication and our prosody, all of the things that we bring to the teaching situation. We want to aim those at the goal of enhancing student motivation and feelings of competence. That's so important. And, and that's one of the things I, I, I do try and speak to teachers about is that idea of can we bring in more autonomy into the classroom? And if we're just going chapter one to chapter two to chapter three, this tense to this tense, there's no autonomy there. We're literally just follow, following a set pattern that was already laid out for us. What you just mentioned, I'm hoping 
that some of the listeners are listening going oh yeah that it reminds me of we had a whole episode about unpacking our deeply held beliefs about how things should be done you know in inverted commas and actually thinking well is this from an evidence base and just because I learned French that way and it happened to be successful for me does that mean it's going to be successful for everybody so yeah I think you, you've touched on that which is really nice one of the other things about self-determination theory for me is we spoke about this briefly before we came on to this podcast is that difference between motivation and motivating like activities can be motivating but does that affect my motivation would you be able to expand a little bit on on those the difference between something that's motivating as a practice or a technique and motivation which i for me i understand it has been something inside but maybe i'm incorrect there well you know this is a distinction i'm not completely familiar with but if I think about motivation as something that we have within, I think STT takes the assumption that everybody is motivated. They may not be motivated for this particular activity, so sort of the magic is in trying to find the gravitational pull that will bring somebody over to this activity as something where they can express their motivation. But I, I think we have the belief that everybody's motivated. You know, some, some teachers will sometimes say, well, that kid, he's not motivated. And I think to myself, I bet he's motivated someplace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll bet there are things that interest this student. Right. I'll bet there are things that really, uh, you know, capture that intellect there. So there's no such thing as an uninterested student, but there are many students who are not interested in this or in that. And so I think motivation's already there. That's one of the fundamental assumptions of SDT. But then we have to bring out the environments that nurture that motivation and, and provide the satisfactions that keep it going. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it really is that thing that every student is interested in something and we have to try and find out what that is and allow us to, to talk about those things. And And I think that's where we're blessed as language teachers, because if a student happens to be into basket weaving or something quite unusual, well, we can talk about that because we're in a Spanish class and as long as we're talking in Spanish, well, we're talking about that. So actually, I think from a teaching perspective, language teachers, we actually have huge amounts of autonomy as to what we can do in the classroom, but it's up to us to try and think differently about that a little bit. I'd like to ask you a follow-up question about that motivation and, and it being inside all of us is that one of the things I've been reading more recently about is the continuum about, you know, more internalization will lead us to becoming more intrinsically motivated. But I, I did read in, in a few places that we can never really be 100% intrinsically motivated for something. Is that something you agree to? Is that something that the, the research is saying that there'll always be a little bit of extrinsic motivators there? Or have I misunderstood that? I wouldn't say you could never be 100% intrinsically motivated. You know, a lot of times we're engaged in activities that we're just 100% doing for the fun of it. That's probably not the typical case in a language classroom. And I don't think the goal is to always have everything be 100% intrinsically motivated. It is a goal in SDT to have everything be willingly done, to be volitional. Um, so sometimes when things aren't fun, they're not gonna be you know, inherently interesting or satisfying, that's the intrinsic motivation piece of it. You still can be 100% willingly engaged because you see the importance of this. You see the value of this particular exercise or activity. And this comes back to one of the big self-determination theory uh, emphases, which is we need a rationale. If we're gonna engage in an activity that's not intrinsically motivating, we, we, we need to know why so we can take ownership of it and endorse that why, and then put our energy into that thing that we now see the value of. Um, so I don't think it's a goal of SDT to bring everything to intrinsic motivation because that's not realistic. 
What is realistic is to help people understand the value of all the things that they're doing. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, that piece, that rationale piece is really, really important explaining why, why are we doing it this way? What is the purpose of this? And how is this going to help us in the long term? And maybe not just explaining it, but showing it, showing the value of something, showing the utility of something uh, really helps ground it so that the person can then say, oh yeah, now I see why we're doing this. All right, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I'm just thinking here, I wish I could be taking notes. I'll have to listen back on this on my own episode plenty of times and write some notes after this. It's fascinating. And then I suppose you have an opportunity right now, Dr. Ryan, to speak directly to some language teachers and some listeners who are out there. And, you know, I, I'm guessing that at some stage in your life, you maybe took a, a French course or a Spanish course, or you were potentially part of some kind of language course at some stage in your life. Maybe it was when you were a young teenager. For me personally, it's really important that we get more people learning languages because I think it's a way for us to embrace other cultures, reduce discrimination, have a deeper understanding of the other and what the other likes and the other does. So for me, this is really important work. What would you like to say to those language teachers? How can we make our classes more motivating in your opinion? (laughs) Well, you know, first you, you just set out a rationale for why language learning is really important. We're in a global world and we are more closely connected. And I think, you know, when you once you have some mastery of a language, you get to a level of appreciating a culture in a much deeper way, a much more direct way. And then also the ability to communicate with other people in their language gives you much more on, on their perspective. So there's lots of reasons why language should be exciting, why it should really be engaging. And that brings us back to then why does it end up in so many places to be really disengaging? And I think it's because we haven't revisited our classroom techniques enough. We haven't paid enough attention to what are the things that are really barriers for the majority of kids going through it. And um, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of innovations going on in the field of language learning, everything from you know, new techniques in out of classroom uh, learning structures that people can have in language communities. And also really seeing that language learning isn't just something that happens in the classroom. It, it happens in an extended world. And I think uh, tying into that extended world and the excitements and the interest value that lies out there into the classroom, um, I think is, is a direction that I think it's going to go. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think another piece that, that for me always ties so closely with autonomy is that is that creativity piece, is that, is that we allow students some form of creativity over what they're doing in the classroom. And rather than scripting out a role play for them to enact, maybe they can come up with bits of this themselves. Maybe they can design their own house as opposed to just learning the labels of the house. So uh, these little activities, and, and I often talk about this on the podcast, that these are just small tweaks you know, I'm not. We're not talking about reinventing the wheel. These are really small tweaks that can have quite a massive impact, actually. In in, in my opinion, so if it's okay, Richard, I'm going to ask you a, another question. Is that all right, Liam? You can ask me about anything. Perfect. Great. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Okay, so Richard, I'd love to ask you a little bit now, just about the future of self determination theory. Now, it's been around for over 20 years. Loads of research across lots of different fields. Where's it going next, and and where do you see the the research lying, or the things that are maybe missing? that we need to look into more? Well, first of all, Liam, you're really kind to say that it's been around for 20 years <laughs> because unfortunately it's been around now for more than 40. So, um, you know, so I'm, I'm getting older now. And, uh, <laughs> but, the, you know, I think the future of directions of STT are really in the hands of the global community of scholars who make it up now. So, you know, if you, if you look at the STT listserv or you look at the STT website, it's, it's made up now of editors in different sections who are really the experts in their field. And, you know, so at one time, 
you know, Ed DC and I were at the center of this theory, but now I think it's hopefully a decentered theory. It's a framework that can be widely used by people in many disciplines. And, and one of the excitements I've had over the past few years is being increasingly in contact with instructors in language learning and teachers in language learning, because the connection between SDT and the language learning community has really opened up really since, say, 2017. Um, really since then, um, I've seen a much bigger connection. So I hope one of the future directions of SDT is that we do a lot more research and innovation and uh, practice development, specifically in the field of language learning. That would be you know, for me, a good direction to go. And for me too, I, I'm really happy to hear that more and more people are looking into it. And yeah, that's, I tweet quite a lot and, and actually quite a few people have gotten in contact with me. One of the people who got in touch with me on Twitter is Dr. Chris Martin, and he did his doctorate on parental engagement and motivation using a self-determination theory lens around language learning. So it was really interesting to see that there are these researchers out there who are looking into various aspects of language learner motivation using an SDT lens, which I was really fascinated by and just wonderful to see that kind of growth there as well. Okay, so we're coming close towards the end of our discussion. I mean, I could talk to you all day, but I would love to ask you a little bit about your key takeaways for for listeners of the podcast. If you had access to all of the teachers in the world right now and you could just talk to them for 30 seconds and say, this is what you guys need to do differently, what would those three things be? And please don't say autonomy, competence, relatedness. (laughs) Well, first of all, I would never tell anybody what they should do <laughs> because that might interfere with their autonomy. And, uh, you know, I would want to respect that language learners have, language teachers have their own expertise that Absolutely. Um, I don't share. So I would want to come at this from the point of view of, of motivating in any classroom, which is the goal of, of being a teacher is to really bring out the engagement of learners so that they can acquire what they will through their own natural means of learning. We want to promote that intrinsic motivation and that uh, volitional engagement in the classroom. When that's not happening, the one thing I suggest to do is to find out from the standpoint of students what's in the way. Mm. It's always about taking the internal frame of reference because that's the problem to be solved. When there's a blockage in motivation, then let's find out, diagnose it. I think the problem in past techniques has been we try and run over that diagnosis by bringing out a bigger reward or a bigger stick. But but the key to motivation is, well, what's in the way? And let's solve that problem. So I'd say take the, t- you know, em- be empathic with students when you run into those problems so that you can identify the obstacles and then design your lessons so that you can uh, ameliorate that. So talking about the obstacles, making sure we take those obstacles away. And then, of course, putting more autonomy or allowing more autonomy wherever we can. And what about... Oh, you said three things. You said three things. Yeah, I mean, you go ahead and give me two more. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Well, let me see. Autonomy, competence. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to add anything else other than getting rid of the barriers? Or is there anything else you think would be really important for, for teachers listening to this? Well, I, I do think on a much uh, a much larger agenda for language teachers and for um, for the education community more generally is revisiting all of these old standard practices that we've had and then really trying to see are they actually achieving the aim of satisfying autonomy, competence, and relatedness. If they're doing those things, they're also producing good outcomes. But uh, if you're trying to get to outcomes without going through need satisfaction, you won't get there. And so we have to revisit practices and make sure that they're not undermining the very things, the very resources inside the student we need in order to promote good learning. Yeah, that is just so key, isn't it? To kind of 
audit our activities and our our practices for autonomy, competence and relatedness? Are we providing those? One of the things I I've, I talk to teachers about when I, I talk about motivation and language learning is on my planning document for my classes, I have a little column that just says motivation and it just says ARC. And if I haven't written anything beside the letter A for four or five classes, I'm going, OK, I haven't given them any autonomy for the last four or five classes. I need to change something here right now. So what we need to put something in there that gives them some creativity. And those little reminders just to kind of audit our practices, I think, can be can be very, very useful. I, I said it was my last question, but I do have, have a couple other things that are just springing <laughs> into my mind now, of course, now that I've got you right here. One of the things that I would love to know a little bit more about in terms of self-determination theory is, is it your belief that we can intrinsically motivate all of our students by adapting our practices or is the framework we are working underneath, you know, the bigger, the administration of our school or the curriculum, is that always going to make it impossible to intrinsically motivate our students? Well, everything has an influence. And of course, those larger structures um, and policy decisions and pressures within schools do have an impact on classroom teaching because, you know, teachers are beholden to many of those outcomes and pressures. But I, I go back to the metaphor of the umbrella, which is you still can hold up an umbrella within your classroom and do the best things you can do to nurture your students, to help them have a satisfaction in the learning to the degree that you can within the limits that we can operate. And then at the same time, be fighting to increase our capacity to do those uh, important things in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't want to discount the one. I think we really do need some radical change in the way that we think about outcomes in schools. And we have to get off of uh, high stakes testing as a way of demonstrating our uh, efficacy in schools. But short of those policy changes, there's a ton that teachers can do within their own sphere of control within the classroom to motivate students. And we see that variation. We see that there are huge differences uh, between classrooms in the amount of intrinsic motivation in students. And this is really largely a function of that teacher-student interaction. Yeah, and the teacher being as autonomy supportive as they possibly can and that the importance of that. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because sometimes I think it's too easy actually for a teacher or anyone to just kind of say, oh, but, you know, I have this big exam at the end that I'm, I'm preparing them for or my school won't let me do it. It's a little bit too easy for me. It's a little bit of an excuse to say, no, no, I'm working towards this big exam so I can't do those autonomous activities in my classroom. But actually you can change your classroom and still work towards that final exam. And I think what I've learned from reading around the research of, of language learning and self-determination theories, if you do that, the students will be so intrinsically motivated and keen and eager and listening that they will pick up so much more of the language naturally in the classroom because they're they're in, you know, they're in the moment, they're thinking about it, they're engaging, they're getting those inputs. So, so yeah, I think that that's, that's really important. I'm going to give one final word to you, Dr. Ryan. What do you think is, is the future of schooling and language learning? Do you think that we actually have the ability to change these things by a little bit more of autonomy and competence and relatedness? What kind of outcomes was that going to change for us? If I may Make my class a bit more autonomous, a bit more competency for the students and a bit more relatedness. You know, what's your vision of the future if we do that? Do you think we can really reach all of these students? Well, the things that you just said, I think will all increase the engagement of students. But when we think about the future of language learning, we have so many possibilities now because we have so many technological tools. We have so many ways we can be conveying language, providing exercises, engaging people in uh, the cultural community with others. So 
I think of the, when I think of the future of language learning, I think about the language classroom as a hub mm. for the activity that goes on, for the agentic activity that results in language learning um, through the use of all these resources. And uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to a more, I guess what I'd say, autonomy supportive, decentralized, choice laden, and uh, technologically resourced uh, a future. For education. Now that would be wonderful. That is certainly the moment to end on. If we can have more of an autonomy supportive classroom for our language learners, we are providing help for all of them and hopefully more intrinsic motivation. Thank you so much, Dr. Richard Ryan. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here and thank you so much for all the work you have done over these last 40 years <laughs> uh, for self-determination theory that has grown so much and so wide. And now the fact that students around the world are potentially getting more autonomous lessons is, is largely in thanks to a lot of the work you and, and Edward Desi started back 40 years ago. So a huge thank you for that. Yeah, thanks very much, Liam. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm going to finish there, everybody. Thank you so much to the listeners of The Motivated Classroom, especially those of you who are patrons of the podcast. I think it's very fitting that our first episode ever of The Motivated Classroom was What is Motivation and How Do We Do It? In which I talk at length about self-determination theory. And now I have Dr. Richard Ryan here in front of me, one of the co-founders of SDT. So it's been a fascinating discussion. And what a fantastic way to bookend The Motivated Classroom podcast starting with motivation and ending with Dr. Richard Ryan of Self-Determination Theory from episode one all the way back in 2020 to episode 100 with Dr. Richard Ryan. Here we are in March 2023. So a huge journey feels like a very fitting way to bring the podcast to a bit of a natural pause. I'm not going to say close because I certainly will be back with many more episodes in the future and I'm actually getting a bit emotional saying this right now but I think it is time for me to hang up those headphones and the microphone at least for a while. I will have more Motivated Classroom podcast episodes coming up at some stage but they won't be as regular and so it's certainly not ending but it is taking a bit of a pause and that takes us nicely into our Irish word for today which was of course creaknia meaning over or finished now I'm going to say nilshe creaknia meaning it's not finished it's not over but we are taking a little bit of a pause I certainly have more pressing things going on right now with a, an increased size in our family and also the fact that I'm writing a book yes so keep your ears and eyes tuned for that it will be out at some stage soon so a huge huge Gurmila Mahagav thank you to all of you listeners to the patrons of the podcast who kept me going over these last two years with all of your coffee and crisps thank you so much to all of those who supported on buying me a coffee to those on social media who kept me going to all those who sent me those lovely emails with those gorgeous fantastic lovely kind words it really kept me going so thank you so much to everybody I really appreciate it and with that we'll say Gurmila Mahagav Agus Sláinte the Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.